Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zerl. With me, as always, is professional film critic, Sean Patrick. Visit us at IHateCritics.net, Everyone'sACriticPodcast.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, our handles CriticsPod. And listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa. All your podcatchers, subscribe to the show, rate and review the show, or read your review on the air. And if you do give us a five-star review, you're going to get a copy of I Spit on Your Grave correct that's right yeah three disc uh, 4k edition is that the one reviewed that 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 set or is it a different one no this is a new one this is brand new with 4k this is the first time in 4k not that you need this movie in 4k it'll still look like garbage in 4k but <laughs> it's, it's garbage in 4k so you know. yeah you don't yeah you don't buy that movie for the look. No. <laughs> you no. buy it as a conversation piece, mostly. And 4K adds nothing to that. And th- this is really the best way to get it, because the only way you should ever get I Spit on Your Grave is free. <laughs> <laughs> I paid like 70 bucks for that giant pack <laughs> just for the Patreon. <laughs> I think one year's worth of all our subscribers will pay for it eventually. <laughs> That said, that was a lot of fun, that episode. So I highly recommend pa- yeah. our Patreon. Uh, we just released the Nirvana episode that we did, actually released it a couple of weeks ago. We'll be releasing the Metallica one here in the next week or so, and we have more planned as well. Uh, mm-hmm. If you enjoy just kind of casual conversation about you know movies and music, that our Patreon's great for that. If you want to help support the podcast, patreon.com slash criticspod is the best way to help us out. And then there's also our T Public page. If you go to IHateCritics.net and click on the T Public link, or go to T Public and search for Critics Pod, that helps us out as well. If you want some of our merch, <laughs> I yeah, Jeff. Uh, <laughs> I told Jeff to work on a on a uh, Nicholas Cage uh, T-shirt, uh, and he posted something on his Instagram. And I said, Jeff, this is not what we want for this. It was a it was a rat fucking Nicholas Cage. <laughs> yeah, with the, despite all my rage i'm still yeah. just a rat in a cage. yeah horrible that horrible was, i said <laughs> oh, go ahead. it was so quickly after our episode i don't even think i'd released it yet and i was like holy shit quick. <laughs> totally random no, it was totally random oh it's just a coincidence he posted it was it? a total coincidence <laughs> <laughs> no i've been every now and then just the random thought of you know we all well, the movie were, that's up on the screen last night in Soho. I was just thinking about. I remember Josh and I liking Baby Driver, but it's definitely a movie I can never go back and look at or watch because of Kevin Spacey. And yeah, I was just like I wonder if that'd be good with Nicolas Cage in it. Just you know, and I'm trying to think of what would be a good shirt there. Uh, I don't know. There's got to be something. Oh my gosh, let's remake all of Kevin Spacey's movies in T-shirts with Nicolas Cage. <laughs> thinking about that one (laughs) (laughs) do you imagine how great he would have been at seven oh my god (laughs) oh wow that movie changes right (laughs) for the better i mean kevin space was great in that don't get me wrong right i mean even the usual suspects think about how much more fun he is in that oh wow yeah Jeez, that's crazy! Wow. I mean, it was one thing; it was just American Beauty, but now it's really getting deep. 
I say from now on, kayfabe on this show that the, the we just go full on. Spacey doesn't exist, and Cage was in all of his movies instead. <laughs> Especially if there's ever a classic, and we have to go back. <laughs> yes. Even if it's not T-shirts, if we just did posters that have Kevin Spacey on, that's Jeff. <laughs> Get to work, <laughs> man. I mean, Glenn Gary Glenn Ross doesn't really matter, but. Uh, <laughs> it's like the least important role of the whole movie uh that said anyway that's just yeah you know what i mean he could have even made k-packs better he could have made k-packs work <laughs> pay it forward might not be better no i don't think anybody could save that piece of shit yeah but yeah k-packs would have been k-packs would actually be good Nicholas Cage. <laughs> wow. Yeah. This is. I mean, it was a joke when we said it a few weeks ago. <laughs> now it's like real. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah. My biggest disappointment of the weekend last night in Soho, only because I couldn't see it. Uh, oh, good. Yeah, because I, I, <laughs> I loved this fucking movie. I tried so hard. Every time I was going to go see it, uh, something popped up, and my wife was like, could you go later? And I was like, sure. And then I'd go look at later, and the time didn't work out. Uh, so I, uh, I, I'm really bummed about this. I want to see it so bad. Uh, Edgar Wright, this looks amazing. It sounds like it's amazing. Everybody seems to be loving it. Tell me about Last Night in Soho. Yeah, Last Night in Soho stars Thomason McKenzie as a, a woman who gets into college. A fa- she goes, she's going to study fashion in London. She's moving from a, a outskirts of London to London for the first time. She's going to see it for the first time, and it's all very exciting. She loves the 1960s. Like Her head is always thinking about the 1960s. She loves the music. She loves the fashion. It's influenced her fashion, so she's going to use that as inspiration for college, but she's also got a secret that she's carrying with her related to her mother and her mother's death. And this is going to, this is something that has kind of made her grandmother, especially very concerned about her making such a big move. It's going to be very taxing on her emotionally. Nevertheless, she does make the move. And once she arrives at college, things are tough. Uh, her roommate is just a, 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 just awful, just an awful human being. So she almost immediately moves out on her own and finds this apartment in this part of Soho that is very old, it's a, you know, dates back to the 1960s to the point where her apartment even doesn't seem like it's been touched since the 60s. Like it's that it's that kind of a aesthetic, and she loves it. This is perfect for her. Except the first night she falls asleep, she has this dream where she becomes Anya Taylor Joy and follows her into this nightclub, and she is you know, swanning around this nightclub in this beautiful dress. And she's just having this amazing night where she meets Matt Smith and they begin a romance. And it seems like it's just this really lovely story. And she cannot wait to go back to bed the next night and have this dream again. And she does, but things start seeping in slowly, but surely little details about how as exciting as this is the life that Anya Taylor Joy's character goes on to live. Isn't particularly exciting. Matt Smith's character sort of turns and becomes a guy who starts pushing her towards sex work that she doesn't want to do and it gets a very it becomes very dark and disturbing and her dreams are following along with that to the point where it seems kind of like these things are happening to her while she's asleep but that's not the entire conceit because it gets much smarter than that this is a really a murder mystery at its heart and when she has she's she's also dealing with like a lot of emotions because 
there's maybe a hint that there was some history of schizophrenia in her family, so that's really throwing her, and it's making her seem very unreliable. But at the same time, we know she's not crazy, but she don't, she also doesn't trust herself because she does have that in her mind, that history. But then there's also a character played by Terrence Stamp who might be somebody who was actually there when this murder occurred. So it becomes, you know, there's a lot of things at play here, and it really takes seriously the emotional and intellectual the mental health aspects, it takes that very seriously. The, and that aspect of it really makes this so much more interesting. It, it makes this very uh, unique murder mystery so much more interesting because they take seriously not just her mental health, but also that of Anya Taylor-Joy's character. Uh, she's not a victim, per se. She's, she, she's being victimized, there's no doubt about it. But where, where her character goes and what happens to her is not entirely clear until the final act. And when it is clear, it's like, oh, wow. <laughs> it's, a, it's awesome. Uh, on top of which, uh, there's a character in the movie played by Diana Rigg, who's a famous 60s TV star. And the way that they use her in this movie is amazing. And just, I like this movie so much. I just thought it was so incredibly smart. I'm shocked there are so many negative reviews of this. I thought it was amazing. Well, there's a lot. I've only seen positive, so I'm shocked to hear that. Uh <clears throat> I just don't. I heard, I heard seventy three percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, yeah, a movie like you would think would be more like in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not. I'm surprised at that too. Uh, is it from critics or are you talking about the fan part? I thought it was the critics, but I'm not. I I could be wrong. That number could be completely wrong. I've not looked at it since Thursday. Oh, yeah, it it looks so fantastic, and even like I don't think either one of us are the biggest Edgar Wright fans compared to. I mean, because he has a huge fan base. Uh, I appreciate everything he's done, even the stuff I'm not a fan of. I'm just not like Shaun of the Dead. I, I get it. Yeah, I'm just not into uh, it. I'm uh, not into it either. There's nothing. The whole the whole Cornetto trilogy doesn't like. I'm not a big fan of Hot Fuzz. Right, but he has he has just such complete control over this. This is a masterful piece of direction. It's so stylish. And it takes its premise seriously, but it it allows for these characters to have a lot of fun. Thomas and Mackenzie's in such a hard spot here for such a young actress because she's competing with all of this really, you know, like Anya Taylor-Joy is a big, broad personality. Matt Smith gets to be a big, broad personality. Everybody around her gets to be big and broad, and she's got to shoulder the entire, you know, the, a lot of the real dramatic weight here and still try and create a very interesting character. and and especially a very sympathetic character, and she pulls that off incredibly. Yeah, I absolutely can't wait to see it. Uh, it just looks phenomenal. I mean, what I was going to get to with, even though I'm not as big a fan as everybody else, it's not because of him. It's just I'm not into certain movies. You know, I'm not into that whole style of, you know, the Shaun of the Dead movies. I liked Baby Driver, but I get why people didn't. Uh, yeah. Uh, and obviously, I think everybody likes Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Uh, yeah, that's a great movie. <laughs> but... Uh, is this you know one of the best of the year like how like top it's 10? in my top 10 for sure absolutely i love this i can't wait to see it and i i tried so hard like i was gonna go like after 10 o'clock last night but uh i told you my wife was going through and it was worse last night so i was like i just can't do it she said i yeah. could but i don't know it's just basically i would have had to go at 10 10 30 at night in order to see this movie <laughs> and <laughs> I just couldn't make it work. I really wanted to, though, and I can't wait. Until, I might even go see it on my own eventually here. Uh, so I apologize, listeners, <laughs> for not being able to <laughs> participate. But 
It just looks so good. Anything you could compare it to? Not really. Like this is such a because this is a murder mystery, and and the way he's updated the genre in such a unique way, and really given these characters a, a new kind of life within the within the idea of a murder mystery is just I, it's hard to really compare it to anything else. Right, especially when you work in dreams and the yeah. tagline of murder in the past, a mystery in the future. I don't know what that means, but I'm sure it makes sense once you've seen the movie. Uh, Very true, and yeah, don't don't spend a lot of time trying to you know. Well, how is she able to do this? That's not that's not important. <laughs> it's, that aspect is not important. Focus on the style and the pace and the excitement and the romance of these characters that turns into this that begins to curdle and turn dark and and mysterious and it gets kind of scary. There's there are horror elements in the in the end that are, that are really exciting and really give the movie just this whole other edge in the final act. It's really so good. That's pretty awesome. I mean, Knives Out was able to kind of reinvent the genre a couple of years ago, so that's awesome that, again, <laughs> murder mysteries are <laughs> coming, becoming fresh again. That's yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, it's nice. Anything else on Last Night in Soho? Sorry, I can't make the uh, it's incredible. better. <laughs> it's incredible, and I want everybody to go see it. I definitely will. Anya Taylor-Joy for Best Supporting Actress. Really? That good? That good. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, I did see this one, Antlers. Now, the reason I saw this, it wasn't like I could choose one or the other. Last night in Soho wasn't until like 10.30 that night, and this was at 9. <laughs> so I didn't have a choice. This was the only one available in the time slot I could go see. So I did not choose this over last night in Soho. It just right. was available, and last night was not. Uh, so Antlers. Antlers, directed by Scott Cooper, starring Carrie Russell and Jesse Plemons. Uh, Carrie Russell is a troubled woman who uh, moves back to her hometown to live with her brother played by jesse plemons uh and become and continue her career as a teacher and uh she's also a parent she might be recovering alcoholic we get kind of that impression uh and among many other traumas from her past that will be visited upon throughout the story uh she takes uh, an immediate interest in this one student uh, lucas who uh is definitely troubled he's got a, you know, a lot of darkness around his eyes he looks familiar to her and as somebody who herself who who uh, survived a lot of traumas in her childhood, it makes sense that she would be drawn to this kid because he's clearly being traumatized. That said, she's also kind of one of those overly involved teachers who kind of goes that step beyond what teachers normally do and uh, when it comes to students like this. And she's right to be, you know, concerned because he's got something pretty serious going on. Uh, his dad is a uh, meth maker, a well-known meth dealer in town, and he's... Uh, He's not gone missing per se. <laughs> I don't know how to, I don't quite know how to say it without spoiling anything. Uh, but he has an encounter with what they call a Wendigo, and that leads to something else where he's locked up in their house and his son is taking care of him, but also taking care of his little brother, who's also perhaps infected by something. There are two different movies here, and that's my problem, is that there's there's one movie that's that's a monster horror movie, and there's another movie about, you know very serious ideas about trauma and the past and, you know, trying not to inflict yourself on somebody with your trauma, but also trying to care for other people with trauma and recognizing trauma. But there's also elements of, you know, economic strife, like this town, Scott Cooper is incredible at capturing American decay and the, you know, the, 
the economic strife, like you know, just empty buildings. And you can sense this is an area that he chose specifically because there are so many empty factories and the way this has been uh, ravaged economically. And of course, you see the line, just little visual touches, lines outside the, the place where people go to get a job or to pick up their, their check for that month. Uh, of course, you've got the meth thing. And I can see where he's trying to use drugs and what happens to people on drugs to comment on the monster story, you know, like how somebody you know and love takes drugs and they become somebody you don't recognize. I get it. It doesn't work. It's too on the nose for me. Uh, and so not everything works. Like he's a great director. He could make a great monster movie. He could make a great movie about economic strife and, you know, childhood trauma, but they're two different movies, both competing for the same attention and trying to bring them together. never works for me. Yeah, I I like everything Scott Cooper has done, but the keyword is like. I don't love any of it. Like there's always like one thing missing it missing from making it the, you know, the next level of great movie, you know. Uh like Hell or High Water, I'd, he didn't do that one, but that's a great movie. And yeah. so, but you look at like some of the elements, they're, they're just never quite there. They're like a step below that movie all the time. Like everything he does is like a step below Crazy that. Heart. Great example. Yeah. Uh what was the one that we watched for the podcast. Uh, I can't remember the name of it. It's yeah, super it's depressing. Get... <laughs> uh, was it out of the furnace? Was out that of, the out of the furnace? Yeah, uh, it fine, but not like it's just a step away from being like there's something preventing it from being great. Uh, yeah, and it's the same thing with this. I think it works, uh, but it's with. With the horror movies that I like right now, it's definitely not even mentioned in the same breath with, as them. <laughs> yeah, like you can't talk about Lamb and this in the same breath at no, all. No, those are two two very different things. Uh, but th- this one could have been more like that if it really wanted to be. It's very typical and very standard, but he does a great job of you know bringing in that atmosphere. Uh, to a very standard movie, and I, I, I do like Jesse Plemons just about everything. Uh, There's a scene between him and Carrie Russell that's incredible that that uh, could have been really great if it weren't in a monster movie because <laughs> it's again it's it's not even about the monster. It's got nothing to do with the monster. It's just them talking about themselves, and you know, it ends on this note of him saying talking about their father, and he just says, "You, you don't know what he did to me because you were gone," and it's like, boom. Like the, the the twin traumas of that moment are just beautifully rendered, but you know, there's also a monster running around eating children. So I mean, it's like, well, and here's why it works, but also why you say it doesn't work. <laughs> so <laughs> this is one of those examples where both things are true. Uh, it, the fact that it works is because it, it make they have to deal with this monster, and so they can right. use that trauma to make dumb decisions that don't work in other movies. <laughs> It works in this movie because you you can look at it as I'm dealing with a trauma, but because it's a monster movie, it just it doesn't hit hard. It's just kind of like, okay, I'll go along with this, I guess. You know, it, that's about it. It's just enough to explain it, but not anything. There's nothing deep there. Like, but, yeah, but the this story also, requires deep, <laughs> right? And and but see, I felt like in the dramatic elements when they weren't talking about the monster, those elements are so well done. Like, oh, dude, like sure. I said, the the tiny visual details, her just kind of glen- glancing at a bottle while she's at the grocery store and really looking at it. 
like she really would like it, but she can't. She's you know holding herself back. Good visual storytelling. Uh, the the line outside of the outside of the unemployment office again. It's a visual detail, never commented upon, but it's an important part of setting the scene of where we are. The cinematography is incredible. He captures this this gray, this form of gray dankness that makes this town feel as if it is rotting. <laughs> like uh, it's been here just rotting and. And everything is just rusting and graying away. Uh, it's being grinded down by time, and that's fucking amazing the way he does that. Uh, it, it's just the the monster thing. Like it could be a very obvious metaphor for drug abuse. It can be, you know, you can use it very obviously. It's a it's a Native American legend, the Wendigo, about a monster that takes over a person and it makes them so intensely hungry and greedy that they just take and take and eat everything. And that's a pretty good metaphor for a lot of different things. Uh, but it's also a very broad metaphor that you really, if you're going to use it, you need to be less broad. Yeah. And I'll be honest, I wasn't even putting the metaphor on anything cause I, it was still late at night and I wasn't paying that close attention. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I do like that the monster makes sense. Because uh, the way the movie ends uh, is, I, I don't know. I don't want to go into any spoilers, but I, I just like that they establish that this monster has a weakness, and it's not one of those monsters that can end the movie at any time it wants. You know, it it all comes together fine, but in a way that it's almost too perfect at times. Uh, right, but also that ending like doesn't work at all. Well, the ending, the, just final, kinda... the, the final moment does not work at all for me. <laughs> if you're, it totally ruins any of the other metaphors in the movie. <laughs> it, yeah, and it's not nearly as dramatic or scary as it wants. It's like to a be. sequel tease, and it's like this is not a movie that deserves a sequel tease. This is a movie that takes itself very seriously, and you're teasing a sequel. Yeah, and even if you're not teasing a sequel, it's just supposed to be a depressing. Uh, in, 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 all this work you do, and then this is what happens. Yeah. I, you can do that too, but again, it doesn't hit as hard as. None of it hits as hard as it could. Uh, but I don't know. Like, you have to totally deconstruct this movie to and basically make a whole new movie <laughs> to the point where you possibly take the monster out. I, you almost could. I mean, <laughs> in order to make it hit as hard as they want. Well, here, I, so. I, yeah, like I'm saying, there there are two really good movies here. He could make a really great monster movie. Like the what he does with Amy Madigan's character. Oh, yeah. Fuck! That was awesome. That was awesome. <laughs> the scene at the end, one of the most effective jump scares I've ever yeah. uh, been a part of. I'm not going to call it the best because I'm sure there are better, but it was very effective. Like, it, like I felt like it came from behind me. <laughs> like yeah. That's how good it was uh that end, that ending should have hit a lot harder with what she had to do that should have hit a lot harder than it did but you knew damn well it was coming way before it did and uh again i like it i don't love it it's fine uh i i liked how it it just everything was right it just something keeping it from being really good yeah, it's just, it, it, yeah, I'm disappointed because there is so much good here that <laughs> they're two really good movies and, I, and they're stuck in this one movie trying to get out <laughs> and go do their own thing. Right. Uh, but I do think that they, they meld together fine. I just not, I don't 
at the end because you're right they're going side by side the whole time and they need one for the other to work but it's still not a powerful enough combo to you know to make it great Uh, i I think all it does is just kind of explain why it it allows for why she would walk (laughs) go chase after this monster that's the only thing it allows for and that's kind of a weak uh there's a lot of work to get to that point (laughs) yeah uh but yeah before we move on to our classic you saw a documentary artificial gamer i don't have a picture for it but if you want to go and yeah, yeah, the artificial gamer is a, a story about uh, a group in San Francisco that set itself a very strange goal, <laughs> or at least strange to me, not strange to them, but it was strange to me. They wanted to create a computer that could beat real life players in a game called Dota 2. Uh, Dota is Defense of the Ancients. Uh, it's an incredibly popular uh, RPG, I guess. I guess it is because uh, you get to play as like a ancient character who's defending your ancient realm from other characters it's got a lot of complexities to it and it would and to create so to create a a piece of artificial intelligence that could compete in this game you have to teach this this particular computer program a lot of stuff and get it to do a lot of its own thinking thinking that artificial intelligence this kind of thinking this kind of complexity that artificial intelligence has probably never done before uh they go through the history of what artificial intelligence has done like Artificial intelligence has beaten the chess player. It's beaten the world's greatest checkers player. It beat the greatest go player of all time. So th- those are historically like really interesting, but this is the first time they've taken on a game that is this level of complexity on top of which they also take you inside this. They're very unique. Did you know that there are people who make multiple millions of dollars competing in Dota tournaments? I, I knew there were gamers that made millions of dollars, but not specifically what games. <laughs> yeah, this this the prize that they have for this thing that they call the international, which is a tournament specifically for Dota Two, is nineteen point million dollars as of last year. Winning five five player team wins nineteen million dollars at the end of that thing. That's more than like the World Series of Poker. <laughs> it's crazy, right? But they invented this AI that actually learns how to win at this game, and it's interesting. They they fail early on. Not because they couldn't win. They were winning, but they were winning the wrong way. They were winning in a way that was kind of cheating. <laughs> they didn't realize they were doing it, but when they realized it, okay, yeah, they're right. They we're kind of breaking the rules a little bit. Like the spirit of the rule was being broken. Uh, and so they took that element out. And they taught it. They taught the AI to play properly, and the AI was very competitive uh, in getting in there against the team that actually won the international. And it's kind of exciting to watch. Uh it's more for people who really love that sort of technology. Like if you're really into that idea about artificial intelligence, it's going to be more for you. It wasn't entirely for me, but I found the people involved to be charming enough that I didn't, that it didn't bother me. that I didn't care about the AI. Did the AI at least lose. That's all I want. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good documentary. That's cool. Uh, is it available anywhere? Yeah, it's available to stream immediately. Awesome. All right. Our classic is Murder Party from Jeremy Saulnier. Uh, We have been a fan of his movies. (laughs) (laughs) Until now. (laughs) You didn't like it? I fucking hated this. 
Oh, yeah. A murder party. I don't know who stars in it. I don't really care about whoever this guy is. Uh, a guy finds a, an invitation to a uh, murder party on the ground and decides to go, thinking it's just a regular everyday Halloween party. Uh, he creates this cardboard costume for himself. He looks like a complete dork. Uh, when he arrives, there's people there waiting and they want to kill him. Uh, they, they they were just waiting for somebody to find that and show up at this party. And so he does. And they sit him down and they start talking about the various ways that they're going to murder him. And then one or two, then one of them you know, gets themselves killed so stupidly. And then just stupid shit on top of stupid shit on top of stupid shit. Uh, Jeremy Sonier has grown a great deal as a director. I mean, a great deal. This is where he started. It's amazing that he made it to Blue Ruin and to uh, you know to Green Green Room, which are uh, incredible movies. They look amazing. This movie looks like garbage. <laughs> it looks like it was shot for ten bucks at somebody else's Halloween party. Uh, <laughs> well, it might have been. That's the thing. <laughs> I mean, I'm not kidding. I don't. I think it was a super low budget movie, and that's part. Oh, absolutely, of- it was. And which uh, makes me appreciate it a little more. I thought it was I, I, I liked. I don't. I mean, obviously, it's not a classic for real, but it's a cool. It's cool to see a director starting out. I mean, I think everything he does works. It's silly. It's a comedy of errors, I guess. Uh, again, I don't. It, think it it's falls amazing. into that. It falls into that two thousands trap, though, uh, that everybody was doing by by essentially every character sucks. Like they're all I, this guy the main character, I guess, isn't shitty. He's just a dork. But everybody else in the movie is really super shitty. <laughs> and it does, it wasn't fun watching them do what they did, which I kind of thought it was intended to be fun. Like I think they they were trying to make it seem like they were having fun. And I didn't have any of that fun. Yeah, I mean the character the main character, the guy in the cardboard, I don't know. He's a dork, I guess, but he's still, <laughs> you're still rooting for him, I suppose. Yeah, uh, okay, well, and it was, but, but only on a basic human level, like you don't want to see an innocent person get killed. Yeah, but that's just about every horror movie, even the ones that before the two no, thousands. There, there are many the, horror movies where well, they create characters yes, who are. But this is yeah. a this is a low budget slasher movie, more or less. Uh, I mean, Laurie Strode's not particularly likable. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't agree with that. I found her, and she's also very charismatic and attractive. I, okay, that would be the close. But uh, you look at the Friday the Thirteenth. The I, I, none of the I, I don't know none of the. I, final, I don't necessarily think Friday the Thirteenth is a very good movie. Well, I, but this is the type of movie it's trying to be. It's trying to be yeah. a slasher kind of independent, low budget because they're easier to make and they're, they're cheaper. Uh, so I think for what he was going for, I think it works. I don't. I don't think it's fair to throw it in the every character sucks because I don't think the main character is a bad guy, and that's usually what. I think that's what you He's mean. He's not a bad guy. He's just not a very interesting guy. But I don't think that's what the two thousand suffered from. I think they suffered from making everybody unlikable, <laughs> and I think that's the I difference. Don't, I, I don't necessarily think he's. I just don't find him to be anything. Is the thing, and I, I need a rooting interest and. I was, or or you need to make it. You need to make it so he's so boring that I don't mind that he's dead. Like that's really, really no. That's the problem is that he's so boring that I don't mind if he dies. Like he's just so he's so absent at the center of the movie that I didn't care if he lived or died, and that's really what's missing. Yeah, I mean, I thought it for the first time director, uh, low budget. It's really hard to compare 
their first movie they did with no money to something they did with a budget. I, I have a hard time putting them in the same ball. I mean, I, I'm more forgiving, I guess, to a <laughs> low budget first time director type movie. I thought it was fun enough. I liked the the costumes. I thought it was cool <laughs> to see the odes to Blade Runner and uh, the Warriors and whatever else they were doing. Uh-huh. Uh, I thought it was fun. They were making fun of all these artists. Uh, <laughs> always, I don't know. Sometimes people take themselves too seriously, and I, I, I appreciated that about it. But again, it's not... I probably will never watch it again. I'll probably never think about it again after today. <laughs> So. Yeah, I'm definitely not. Good. I I just wanted. I was well. I was hoping he had a more a stronger beginning. I guess because these other movies are just so incredible. It almost doesn't seem like the same director. Uh, the the I just didn't find anything about the. They, there's supposed to be an element of humor to this. Everybody's playing it. All the bad guys are playing this for comedy, and I didn't find anything that they did funny. Um, I didn't find their characters to be believable in any way, believably funny or believably deadly or uh, there's a needle that he doesn't thread here for me that just that with the with each, with each of those characters yeah that said this was a movie that allowed him to do the next thing which allowed him to eventually get to the green room <laughs> so, uh he, he's incredible and, and everything he's done since then has been outstanding and i think part of that is because he's he stopped trying to be funny maybe i think because nothing about blue ruin green room What's the are other funny one? there's one more in between I, isn't there yeah there's one more it's a uh, oh god it's a jeffrey wright movie that came out in 2017 hold on to the light or something no, i can't remember what it's called but uh, yeah again just another one of these humorless exercises in survival basically which is, i don't he doesn't i mean he could do i bet he could do just about anything because he's just that talented but not this oh, he did some i wonder if this was i wonder if there are elements of this that just got compromised in the end just to get it done that's what i kind of wonder because it doesn't seem like this this is such an outlier from what he does I'm wondering if he got compromised at some point, <laughs> like just to get you want to finance it. Fine. I'll, I'll do it the way you want to do it. Just, <laughs> well, I don't even think he got like real financing. I think it was super independent. So there's definitely, yeah. I don't know. It, uh, it exists though. Uh, again, I <laughs> won't think about it ever. Again. I was, I was, I had such high hopes for this. I'm sure that's probably hurting as well. And I, yeah, I definitely. My brother saw this before Blue Ruin or Green Room, or even. I mean, he saw it when it came out, and he loved it. Huh. Uh, and so, I don't know if that matters too. Not knowing what he's done after this, <laughs> it's not always seeing <laughs> where he started. Uh, but we'll never be able to truly experience that. So, yeah, let's move on. Speaking of things that were hyped up big time for me. <laughs> Uh, I've just heard people talk about the people under the stairs all uh-huh. the time, but how it's one of the great horror movie classics that it's forgotten about and Wes Craven directed it and Stephen King wrote it. So it turned 30 and I was like, why don't we just watch this? We don't have much going on this episode. And, <coughs> and this was like a made for TV movie. And maybe it was, so it's rated R. So I don't know. I, it, this didn't play well again, Goodfellas existed. Sounds of the Lambs existed. Why is this? I, I maybe this I, was like '83. I'd feel differently. <laughs> I don't know. I think uh, yeah. There's. Um, <laughs> I just like the idea of this movie. Um, oh yeah. 
I, I find it. I find just the the pitch notion of this being very entertaining. Somebody somebody said to an executive, "Here's what I got for you. I've got Goonies meets The Hills Have Eyes. <laughs> You've got cannibal children, incest. We've got <laughs> we've got gimp suits." <laughs> But isn't this a Stephen King book? <laughs> so we don't even get the fun of the pitch. <laughs> right, exactly. This is just going to Stephen King's head somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I was just, I was really like instantly like, I should have never offered to watch this movie. That was kind of my initial thought. I finished it, but yeah, it really was lame. <laughs> For lack of a better word, it, it's a uh, yeah. <laughs> you can't cut corners if you're going to go that crazy, and you're, you're going to offer up like you know incest, cannibal children, and <laughs> and kim suits. Uh, you, you can't you can't hold back on that. Yeah. <laughs> you, can't, you can't then make a kids movie out of it. <laughs> make make you hate it for a different reason. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to make that, you know. If you're gonna do Hills Have Eyes, do Hills Have Eyes and make you know lose half your audience because uh, you're still losing us anyway. And maybe you're I don't know. Maybe most of the audience likes. It. I really don't get it. It, it, it was. It, it seems like somebody had like this really gross idea about child cannibals, and somebody goes, "Okay, but can you make that PG-13?" <laughs> but even Goonies was a few years before this, so it's just like. So much had advanced between like 88 and 90, 91. Again, Sounds of the Lambs existed, Goodfellas. <laughs> things started to change. And yeah. I just, I don't. And even Stephen King, as much as he's like the godfather of horror or whatever, when you read his books, there's elements of greatness there, but there's always a turn that's just like, really? What the fuck are you going there for? You know? Yeah, no, I. I it is a great example of oh, that. I absolutely you get there's a moment in that movie that I still can't believe. I mean <laughs> when they run the train on her. <laughs> the kid. Well yeah. <laughs> you want to put it like that? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how else to put how else do you put it? I yeah, I, I, I want to dismiss it, so that's kinda of why I want to say it like that. I, I don't even want to like I'm glad it's not in any of the movies. Right, because uh, you because you'd go to jail <laughs> putting that on screen. But even Pet Cemetery, I read that going <laughs> into this new one, and I was just like, "Holy shit, this is amazing!" And then he has to find a way to end it, and he just totally takes the train off the tracks, which then allows the movie has to focus on that, and it's just a disaster. Uh, and the movies are even worse, but it's just like. Like you're literally flirting with a masterpiece in terms of horror, and yeah. all of a sudden it just turns into I don't know over the top bullshit. But you know, you know what they say: cocaine's <laughs> a hell of a drug. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, even like looking at the Kevin Smith movies, and maybe we're just too big of fans. But when I mean, and he was pot, not cocaine, but. He was doing things that at least were they were out there and never really thought about them before, but for whatever reason they were entertaining and I guess those played for comedy too, that might help. Yeah. Uh 
but I don't. I mean, what is the what is the fucking tone of this movie? <laughs> what are they going for? I mean, you you were perfect in your description. I don't know if they're going for that, but Goonies meets Hills Have Eyes <laughs> is as spot on as it gets. But I shouldn't come away from this movie with that, should I? That's not, that can't be what they intended. That's now it's not not what they were intending. Intending. <laughs> There's definitely a Goonies vibe to this movie. There is. There so is. And there's cannibals. And, <laughs> and there's incest. cannibals. Can- cannibal children and incest. Yeah. And a gimp suit. <laughs> yep. And a brother calls his calls his sister wife mommy. That was weird too. Yeah. I I know why they included that 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 guy was that guy's played Reagan before in parodies. So I mean I'm thinking that's kind of why they had him using saying mommy. Jesus, he just has to get his... it. Reagan was wasn't far gone after you know when this movie was made, right? Yeah, just really one of the bigger disappointments. <laughs> like I've had this kind of circled for a few years, knowing what's coming up, uh, and yeah, very, very, very let down. <laughs> I saw it at the time and I completely forgot about it. Just completely, it left my mind so fast. I just it, it made no impression whatsoever. And I saw it in theaters, so it wasn't straight to TV. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next week we've got Eternals, Red Notice, Spencer, and Beta Test. Is that correct? Yes. And we're we haven't figured out a classic yet, but we will get one. Nothing of note really comes out in 91 i think like strictly business and uh i love strictly business i watched that movie so many times <laughs> well you can watch it again then there was something else uh I, it was bad i don't know if it's any good i just watched it a lot because it was on hbo just watch and it. halle berry's it's one of halle berry's first movies and she is so hot in that movie yeah the other one's all i want for christmas <laughs> <laughs> and for some reason, it's the only movie that ever starred that guy who played Denise's husband on the Cosby show. Like, why that guy ever got a movie? I don't know. Yeah, I'm trying to think of. I mean, I mean, like you said, he's a, Denise's husband on the Cosby show, so I don't even know his name. <laughs> right. It's not like he's a main person on that show. No, he completely disappeared after this. He just completely disappeared from the world. <laughs> And Tommy uh, Davidson. Tommy Davidson's also in it. Yes. Uh, let's see here. We can pull up some flick chart real quick. We can do some of that. Where am I at here? Safari. And all right. Black sheep or paths of glory. Oh, uh, paths of glory, obviously. <laughs> Yeah, I like to let you choose though, because then if you're, not, <laughs> if you're not paying attention, it looks like you're thinking about it. Black <laughs> Sherlock Jr. Have you seen that, Buster Keaton? I've not seen that one. I want to see it though. All right, American Psycho. Mister Smith goes to Washington. Mister Smith goes to Washington. Yeah, American Psycho's movie. I want to like. I mean, I, I guess I like it, but I want to like it more. But I don't totally get it. Uh, Rogue One Trespass. It's Rogue One for me. That's fine. I didn't hate Rogue One. I just didn't like Trespass very much. I, I get less in, I get less excited about Rogue One the more I spend time on it. 
I had a problem with the ending. Just I didn't think Darth Vader was consistent, but that's just me. Josh disagreed. Uh, True Lies, Twenty Two Jump Street. Twenty Two Jump Street. I I just love those guys. Those are, that, that movie consistently finds stupid things to be funny about. Oh, absolutely! And True Lies is one of those movies where I thought was awesome, and then when I saw it again as an adult, I was just like, "Oh my god." <laughs> <laughs> awful like i thought tom arnold was the funniest thing in the history of comedy <laughs> when i saw that movie the first time when i went back i'm like none of these jokes land <laughs> this is terrible <laughs> uh speaking of movies that don't hold up uh the outsiders or forrest gump and i meant this mainly aimed at forrest gump <laughs> yeah it's the outsiders for me i hate forrest gump so much yeah that was my crash not that I loved Force Gun to begin with, but right. when we watched that as a classic, that was just like, oh my God, nobody's seeing this. What? <laughs> it's like they live. Put the glass, take the glasses off. <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is. I completely agree. It's like only me, you, and Josh see it. <laughs> right? Uh. <laughs> 127 hours or Star Trek 6 Undiscovered Country. Well, 127 hours. <laughs> yes. Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, be dazzled. Batman v Superman. Still like it. Absolutely. <laughs> Bloodsport, Harry Potter, and the Deathly Hallows. It's Harry Potter for me. You can pick Bloodsport if you want. That's fine. <laughs> if I, were, I don't... If I was, like, invested in Bloodsport, I'd go with it. It's not worth ruining your pick. Oh. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> this is like the perfect combination. Uh, <laughs> the Devil's Rejects or the Ten Commandments? <laughs> oh, yeah, we were going to do our top five horror movies. Oh, yeah, we, we forgot. We have plenty of time. Let's do that. Yeah, do you have yours ready to go? or I, I can have it ready to go. Yeah. As Mine con- has changed a lot, that's for sure. It's a there's way too many new movies. Uh, it's just you know it's it's Ari Aster's fault. He's ruined my life. <laughs> or saved it, however you want to look at it. I mean, <laughs> I mean, and this podcast has changed it too. I mean, yeah. I think the only one that's still on it from before this podcast is the Devil's Rejects, <laughs> only because I'm not going to let go of that no matter what happens. <laughs> So I like, you know, there are a couple of things that like used to be on this list or that, that are very close to being on this list. Like uh, Carnival of Souls is a movie I still think is incredible. Us is recently, but I, I, I love us more than more every day. Like I start to appreciate what that movie did. Uh, Get Out, I don't really see as much of a horror movie, but it's in the genre, I guess. So it's, it's definitely up there. Martyrs, very close to my top five. Very close. Uh, Happy Death Day. Both of those movies, I think, are awesome. Uh, the, the combination of humor and horror in that in those two movies are just just awesome. Really terrific director. Uh, <clears throat> House, the uh, movie House we watched is oh, just. I mean, fun. I love that fucking movie. House, who, so awesome. <laughs> what a bold, bold, ridiculous vision. But uh, my top five uh, starts with The Witch. Uh, Robert Eggers. That that movie just is so bleak and mysterious and it goes there it goes to that place that horror movies aren't supposed to go and he goes there right away 
and I just and from there he just keeps spinning it into you know deeper, darker areas that are just it's incredible. You can plumb the depths of that movie for hours. Yeah, uh, that's on my list as well, a little higher. Uh, and I'm probably forgetting something because I did this really quick. Uh, but I mean, I'm not kidding. My favorite movie or horror movie coming into this podcast was The Devil's Rejects. I'm moving it to five now because uh, we've arranged a bunch. And part of it is due to the fact that I feel like I'm always defending it. And I just feel like, I don't know, I there's ownership to it that I feel like I have. And it's hard for me to let go of that. And I just really enjoyed it. I don't like the, the one before it. I don't really like the sequel. I really don't like a lot of I feel like I have to defend Rob Zombie a lot, but I really am not a huge fan of the other movies that much. Uh, but for this, for whatever reason, I really like this movie, and uh, it is what it is. So I, I, I don't know. <laughs> the Devil's Reject is your number five. Yes. My number four is uh, The Mummy, uh, which is shocking, but it this show changed the way I look at The Mummy. But I think, I think Boris Karloff destroys. Frankenstein, Dracula, the entire universal thing. He's just so much better, and it's such a brilliantly psychological horror. He he commands you with his eyes and his performance, and that's where he's bringing in these horror elements. He's creating tension just with his very personality, and that, to me, is just so impressive. It puts it on this list because he is just such a compelling presence. Yeah, all those movies are fun to go back and watch. I mean, I was really impressed with The Invisible Man, I think. Uh, that one was really cool. Uh, yeah, I... And I probably should. I, I've... I don't know. I still lean to now in the 70s as my favorite eras of horror. But those yeah. are, I've definitely... I've learned to appreciate them and uh, just but my lack of ownership of them, if that makes sense, uh, is oh, part does. of why. Absolutely. Uh, but the witch, I you know, a movie a lot of horror fans hate because they're not real horror fans. And, <laughs> uh, just proof a twenty four is just the best thing there is out there right now. It truly, two more a twenty four movies on my list. <laughs> hey, mine too. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what they could be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so your number four was the witch. The witch. I think we're going to have like number th- four of the f- same five movies on our list. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> uh, my number three is Hereditary. Uh, <laughs> Ari Aster, and of course, just just so beautiful. It's just, it's such a perfect movie. I that I I almost downgrade it for being too perfect. <laughs> I have to downgrade it somehow because it because Midsummer is so. We'll get to that, but yeah, Hereditary number three. It's hereditary for me too, and I, I mean, I like The Exorcist. Don't get me wrong. I know you're not as big a fan, but I like what it no. was at the time. Uh, but I just, I don't know. I everything about this is better. All the movies that you compare this to, you know, Rosemary's Baby, which is very good as well. But they're just, I don't know. There's just something better about Hereditary and. I love the fact that he wasn't afraid to lose half his audience. You know, he didn't yeah. care. And in fact, he kind of found it funny. And that's as much as it bugged me when he lost people, because I'm like, you guys are stupid. Uh, <laughs> I kind of appreciate that. The, yeah. the artistic vision and the stubbornness. Uh, 
and I liked I thought it was earned. I it's movie I want to watch every year. I mean, I drink. I, I bought Cousin Jeff's design on a coffee cup, and I drink out of it frequently. I I mean, I yeah. I I think you're right about the the too perfect uh, is probably why it's not i don't know why I, I, that's the only thing i can think of that why i wouldn't hold it next to midsummer which three is pretty close to one so <laughs> uh my number that was so hereditary is your number three also uh, yes. my number two is the texas chainsaw massacre uh my number two uh from director toby hooper who uh created this this remarkable piece of work that is uh is a, it's really whether it was intended or not it it, it is just the sim, is the single most symbolic movie of the 1970s it encapsulates everything that happened from the late 60s to the early 70s to where from where we were to where we were going and in such a way that it's almost prophetic the way you can look at this movie and see the change from a from a society that was welcoming of other people and open and optimistic to a society that's like mine me the me generation this is about me now that change is encapsulated throughout texas chainsaw massacre and just the way that it got, that that this open society this open loving group of people go into this house expecting the world that they know that the, the safety and the welcoming and the you know hey Here's some food. Come in and have dinner. Spend the night if you need if you need to. That society becomes a society where you walk into this house and somebody hits you over the fucking head and they end up fucking eating you <laughs> to survive themselves. Uh, that that is such a perfect symbol of that moment in time. Because you can chart the way society changed in Texas Chainsaw Massacre in, in various different scenes. The the dinner scene I've talked about a million times. How how amazing that is! The one thing that's missing from the table in that room is a mother. It's a woman. It's a fe- it's a female presence. And when they have her there, they do nothing but torment her for everything that's wrong in their lives, for everything that they feel they've missed out on by a woman stepping out of their of that home and and going out to make a life of her own. I don't know if Toby Hooper intended any of this, but even if he didn't, it's there and it's fucking brilliant. Well, and that's what I think great art does. It does it. It just automatically captures the era that it's in. Like I know other movies try, and they were. I mean, George Romero tried very hard, and he's been relatively successful at it. Yeah. The Last House on the Left was definitely trying to do what this does. Uh, That was their point, but because of that, something's lost and missed, and on top of the lack of being as good as Toby Hooper. Uh, And even if you strip all that out as a straight up horror movie, it's one of the scariest movies ever because especially if you give yourself over to it, similar to Blair Witch where you don't see anything in this movie. It's all off camera, but the way they use that lead actress's eyes in that dinner scene is haunting, horrifying. And, you know, today with all of us with the bloodlust and all the gore we were so used to, you can look back and if you're, you never fully invest. You can probably go, Oh, it's dumb. I like Texas chainsaw two better, which is good for other reasons. <laughs> right. Uh, but the, I'm at, this is my number three is why my number two as well. Uh, this is, I didn't realize how great it was until this podcast and we watched it together and maybe it just, this is contagious, but it was such a <laughs> fun 
ex- not even fun. It was just such a magical viewing experience, which we had several of those, good and bad, uh, yeah. for that year or two. Uh, but it was something else. And every time I go back and watch it now, it's just... Uh, I mean, that's part of why I feel bad holding on to Devil's Rejects because definitely is wanting to be a Texas chain. It's definitely influenced by that. <laughs> so yeah. You don't really need both those movies on your list, <laughs> especially when this was better uh, by yeah. a lot. But uh, this is an absolute masterpiece and I think deserves to be at the I keep, top. I, I want to scream at people to actually no, sit down and actually watch it. Like, I know what you think you think of this movie, but sit down and actually watch it. Be open to it. Let yourself be engulfed by it. Don't just sit and yeah. watch it at surface level. Even though at surface level it works as a straight up horror movie, there's, this movie is so so well made. And not only is it one of the best horror movies, it's one of the best movies ever made. And that's what's I mean, the, the '60s ends right, and with all that blood, we're talking about Altamont, Vietnam, Ohio, like all Kent State, all that stuff that happened, and the perfect symbol of that. A woman covered in blood fleeing for her life into a brand new future that is self-focused and survival-focused. Is that not the most perfect metaphor for that moment in time? Oh, absolutely. I, I let's yeah. I just I can't say enough about Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and I certainly can't say enough about Midsummer. <laughs> <laughs> Midsummer is a horror movie, but it's it, for me, it's almost like a feeling that I can't describe. It is uh, because it, it was just it's it's being drunk. It's being just completely it, 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 a movie that enters your blood system. like It, it takes over your mind uh, and and lingers and terrifies you and fascinates you at every moment visually and storytelling wise. It just it engulfs you you're inside this movie and it's inside your head and it's doing things to you it's changing you while you're watching it uh i I felt that i walked out of that movie mumbling to myself about the ending and just i i put a picture i posted my top five on online and you can find it uh i'll post it to the facebook page as well and I posted the image of uh florence pew at the end with that smile on her face And, and i put the caption when you find out why it's why she's smiling, it chills you to your core, and it absolutely does. And it's just the look on her face; it's so perfect. She will forever have a soft spot in my heart for every movie she does going forward. It could be <laughs> she could go on to be total shit from here on. I mean, if she wants to be Jennifer Aniston or whatever, what I, I'm still gonna <laughs> there's part of me that's gonna take her super seriously from here on out. And yeah. I mean that year was fantastic alone for her, where she played right. Paige, and then uh, the women. The women was yeah. she was amazing in that. Uh, and it's cool to see her having a kind of get into a, into the box office thing. But there's, I, I mean, it'll be impossible for any of them to top this. I think I don't know how you do. And it was and one cool thing too is we had very similar experiences, very separate. And yeah. <laughs> we did communicate, but it was definitely we weren't together on this one. We went separate and uh I totally felt everything you were saying. It was just weird. And then I mentioned something and you listened to that and you're like, I oh my god, I hear it too. And it was just kinda <laughs> And then even yeah. had Josh come on board later on and not I mean he echoed the sentiments, but he didn't get to experience what we did. 
uh, Jeff did cousin Jeff he popped on for a great uh, bonus episode that that we did on the I mean this movie is gonna stay around forever with us I I can't wait Honestly, to see what I, he does next. I keep because I'm somebody who thinks about my favorite movie of all time I think about it a lot I spent a lot of time making justifications about what goes where, and I'm still kind of with the Big Lebowski because I love that movie and it means a lot to me. But man, this movie is so good! <laughs> I kind of want to, I kind of want to make Midsummer my favorite movie of all time. That's how good this movie is. Yeah, I mean, it, there's definitely ownership things that I keep mentioning that that I've had to let go of. American Beauty was a movie I've had to really let go of. I still like it. Uh, but I can, I mean, things outside of my control <laughs> right. definitely affect my viewing habits of it. I thought that movie captured the 90s perfect, uh, but his level of creepiness does hang around that movie <laughs> too much. Yeah. And it's hard for me to defend that. I mean, dropping Devil Rejects to four <laughs> or five is a big deal for me. Uh, I still Rocky and Almost Famous are right there. And, uh, for different reasons, and but I mean, Midsummer's there too. Lebowski's a little down, a couple more. Pulp Fiction's right up. I mean, it's at that point you're just talking about the best. I don't even know how right. you're. It, I mean, it's silly. It's a silly, arbitrary thing. <laughs> it, it's something that people do where you just say you have a favorite movie, and right. I think I think Midsummer might be my favorite movie now. And just for simple conversation piece it's easy to say rocky because then people are like okay and they leave you alone <laughs> whereas when summer you do have to kind of defend yourself well, or, or what is that <laughs> <laughs> right well there's that too yes and sometimes you just don't like talking to certain people about movies <laughs> it's easy to get them to shut up with rocky <laughs> or the big lebowski for that matter or pulp fiction or yeah uh, things so, that don't take a lot of explanation <laughs> yeah so to end the show devil's rejects are 10 commandments <laughs> devil's rejects it's shorter holy fuck <laughs> the 10 commandments is like two years long <laughs> no shit <laughs> oh yeah anytime we can talk midsummer or and texas chance master for that right yeah two movies are gonna pop up anytime we do lists <laughs> horror or best uh, honestly yeah texas chainsaw massacre is kind of transcending the the horror genre for me honestly and hereditary hangs out in that yeah. too which is I, I have to in my mind denigrate hereditary somehow just to keep it away from the conversation yeah I, I, I'm so curious what Ari Aster does next uh, I can't wait I don't I have no idea what it's going to be but it's just going to I just have the I, could, I don't know if you can live up, live up to the hype at this point <laughs> yeah but it, I mean, it's my fault. My fault entirely. I just I think these movie, these two movies. How somebody makes two movies that are this incredible? How do you follow that? You need to make like a Benjamin Button and then get <laughs> where it's good. You know it's good. It gets you nominated right. for an Oscar, but everybody's like, <laughs> it's not. You know, <laughs> it's not Gone Girl. <laughs> He's gonna make D four the Mighty Ducks. <laughs> you don't do that. <laughs> 